0: You are now
1: listening to feeding off each other. Oh god,
0: when you do the countdown, so like so much, (laughs) so much pressure when you do the countdown.
1: There you go. Now we're in. That was a hot start. That was a hot start. It's Monday. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to start off with a big question, boys. Mm
2: -hmm. (gasps) Yeah. How was your weekend?
0: I, I hurt my back Fine. in the
2: gym on Friday night, <laughs> so I, all I did was just chase hot tubs and try to end up recovering, so I didn't do anything sweet.
0: Any, uh, bring the mic a little closer, you. Yeah, yeah. Any uh, hot tub poaching?
2: Uh, yeah, I've got a friend who's out of town, so we poached their hot tub, which was sort of sweet. Yeah. Very eventful. Dave, y- your weekend? Oh, Fair, boy.
3: Fairly uneventful. I played two hockey games on Saturday.
1: And Jason, wow! Um, I went to friend of the pod Kendall Genders drag show here yeah. in Vancouver. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, I I yes. got invited. I didn't create the invites. Tfti. Yeah, <laughs> whatever that means. Uh, it was called Renaissance mm-hmm. after Beyonce's Renaissance, and it was very Beyonce themed, and it was quite good. Nice, nice. It was a lot of fun.
3: And you guys hung after?
1: Uh very like f- for thirty seconds. Right. She was quite busy. And also I think in like I just performed for an hour. I need to like leave and be or maybe not leave, but you know, like chill for a sec. Yeah, fair enough. Well, thanks for asking guys. I, I went was to a- just
0: about to ask. <laughs> I saw you, I saw you I got eye worms. contact. I got worms in the weekend. I went to a Canucks game. First what? Canucks game in uh four or five years. Why now? why go sports benjels amazing player best player on the team go benjels that's a deep reference benjels that's a deep cut yeah (laughs) what (laughs) don't worry it was a good time we drank eight 300 beers we had some mulled wine uh, in a tent on the seawall after andrew santos's uncle has season tickets so he he invited me out he needed a friend sweet Yeah,
1: okay. Did you
0: get one of those like camelback beer belly things to sneak in a bunch of booze? Oh no, that's a good idea though. I had to check my backpack in. I rode my bike to the arena mm. and uh, yeah, there's like no backpack signs. I was like, oh crap, but they're not going to let me in. But you just check it in. I thought, wait, how easy it is to bring a beer in? Maybe I could just bring a can. I thought I don't want to get in trouble, but that's a better
2: idea. Although then all your booze just would get really hot and flat, unless you had malt wine in there, and then that'd <laughs> <Yeah>. be okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah.
2: It started off normal
0: temperature and turned into malt wine on me. <laughs> it fermented. Yeah. Who won? Canucks do it. Canucks yeah. won. Yeah. yeah Go yeah. sports. Five four, I believe. Uh, mm. Andrew was hoping for a tie. He wanted the the Hurricanes, Hurricanes, Hurricanes to mm-hmm. score because he wanted to shoot out. Shootouts are exciting in person, but.
3: Nah, he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Overtime's fun. Shootouts are.
1: Hey. Eh. The one time we're talking
0: about hockey and you're silent. Jeez. Monday morning pod, 10 a.m. What? what?
1: What? Welcome is-
0: to
3: Feeding Off Each Other, <laughs> a weekly podcast where we feed off the talent, humor, knowledge, and awesome stories of our guests and each other. Is this a celebrity? yeah sort of yeah Mm, i have
0: no
2: idea is that a celebrity ai or did you actually get the recording
3: it's an it's an ai it's a care it's a fictional character
2: i don't know one more time just
0: a little bit make sure to play the five seconds of silence at the beginning too welcome to feeding off each other a weekly
2: podcast where we
3: feed off the talent
2: humor knowledge
3: and awesome stories of our guests oh it's like and each other it's on the tip of my
2: tongue. it sounds like a, a weird version of the guy off
0: parks and rec Absolutely
3: oh. not. Yeah. Um, what's his face, buddy? Um. <laughs> not Rob Lowe. Not Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman. Yeah, was, it's that, not that. a Canadian cuckoo. It's a.
0: Ooh, that's a tough one. That's, American uh, cock. Ca- yeah.
3: uh, maybe cuckoo's is wrong word. <laughs> I was trying to
1: think of a different. Yeah, uh, without being like synonym. Yeah. You can't say crazy it's, anymore, right?
3: Yeah, it's American psycho. It's uh, Patrick Patrick Bateman nobody cares (laughs) anyways (laughs) that
0: was too deep yikes ruben really had to choose the uh 10 a.m slot on a monday for this podcast (laughs) riveting start here holy smokes usually we're doing like the friday afternoon (laughs) these days when we're all jacked up on mountain dew Mm -hmm. (laughs) now we're drinking tea talking about our weekend (laughs) anyways let's turn this thing around let's get into it let's open the door to our guests uh oh we also have an ai to read the guest intro today is that right or did we i mean
3: you said it wasn't nope. exciting so i didn't save it
0: oh what did i
3: say that i don't remember saying it wasn't exciting yeah you were
0: like oh, uh, no 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 you're di- no no please do the ai you got my my word but it, it's in there your was a miscommunication it's
3: there. in your voice oh okay
0: i wasn't entertained by it okay
2: but maybe the audience the others out there will well, have you gotten past the point where you find your own voice recorded to sound weird Oh yeah!
0: Long Introducing our esteemed guest for today, a distinguished commercial adventure photographer based right here in the Sea to Sky. Renowned for his remarkable trilogy of works—Eclipse, Nebula, and Aurora—Ruben seamlessly. Oh! What happened? <laughs> All I ran out of. You gotta, you gotta pay for the. You gotta pay for more characters. <laughs>
3: we just get to the
0: good part. Merges the realms of skiing with celestial wonders, capturing the awe inspiring beauty of eclipses, nebulas, and auroras. Jesus. Beyond his genius behind the photo camera, Ruben is a multifaceted artist, excelling as both a filmmaker and a captivating storyteller. Humans and non humans join us in extending a warm welcome to this photographic virtuoso, the selfie Seventh. The seafood Savant. sandwich himself, Ruben Krabu. <laughs> <laughs> what? Did you phonetically spell out his last name too? I tried. Krabu? Krabu? No, it's, I'm going to get this right in the first try, Krabba. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. Yeah, nailed it. Who wrote that intro?
3: Uh,
0: that was me this morning, 8.30
3: a.m. Was ChatGPT involved? No. <laughs>
0: but, but i did it i did it uh train of thought and then i said rewrite this and, right uh, you know i should have got workshop training yeah mm-hmm. cool yeah what do you think about the intro huh I, i'm starting to focus it
2: on the trilogy i don't want your you to be defined by three pieces of work but i mean I, i'm just interested to hear that, that that was all ai prompted at least that's sort of funny to know how much the internet knows about you and what it thinks no about no no you. I, I you wrote that i wrote most
0: yeah it just it made, it made it tighter
2: it made it more
3: grammatically uh, okay. uh eloquent and the internet doesn't care about you yeah
2: <laughs> no but actually i'm just kidding i'm kidding it, it doesn't kid- care about anyone <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a big soulless supercomputer <laughs> i think if uh with the right prompt
0: it could have i didn't i probably didn't need to do anything i would have written an introduction for you perfectly
3: It also only goes back a certain amount of time. Like it doesn't have current information. It'll always say like, oh, we only go back to 2021 and stuff like that. Perhaps.
0: Yeah. Well, anyways, Ruben, uh, I have a great amount of respect for you. Thanks for being on the podcast. Uh, We're doing lots of research, like taking a trip down memory lane, looking at all your old interviews on Pink Bike, like 2010, 2011. I was watching your deep summer uh, that blew my
2: mind when I was... A young lad a young grom was that before you had participated in any filmmaking competitions yeah was that, okay yeah that was 20, 2012 right didn't that syn- sounds right th- yeah synthesis? <laughs> synthesis synthesis your, your award-winning slideshow <laughs> um you, like for me that same sort of era of life of just before you start making um, your own content as one of like the most inspiring parts of that. I watched Jordan Manley's show at the pro photo showdown, and it was like exactly like that is what I want to do. Mm. so maybe that fits a little bit into a similar category of your life where you're like,' oh, okay, like this is the direction that I want to take this hobby of filmmaking that you had at a teenager and then really craft it into a whole life. Does that fit?
0: yeah, it, and I believe the the show was at the Fairmont,
2: was it not? In the uh, in like the mm. ballroom. It used to be. I think that that version of the show was outdoor already. Okay, yeah, maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm.
0: But I remember, uh, yeah, watching your show, thinking, "Holy crap, this guy's amazing!" And then I think years later, being at a bar talking to you at like the Longhorn or something, you towering above me at six four. Um, thinking. Oh my god, he's actually talking to me. This guy's uh, giving me the time of day. This is awesome. And now we're here on the podcast. It's mm-hmm. Great, great to have you. Yeah, and we're gonna pick. Now you're talking. Pick every brain cell from you. I learn all your uh, tricks. And uh, today we're actually looking at a really old video from <laughs> Vimeo. Of uh, one of your, uh, I guess this is
2: like your signature trick. Yeah, it's the old. Let's tutorial the lazy leg the tripod lazy leg. stand oh yeah you guys really went digging you went deep <laughs> yeah, I it think that's like me when I'm 14 appeared. or
1: something like that yeah <laughs>
2: like inventing a way to modify light stand to work on a hill yes yeah nice.
1: you adjusted like uh, I guess you drilled holes in one of the legs to mm-hmm. adjust where the bolt sat yeah because you know uneven light stands are just crippling photographers worldwide well that was when we all
2: needed to carry like a ton of lights in the woods constantly to try to make anything look interesting Luckily, that era is a little bit gone and by because it's sort of infuriating working with lights. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Mm-hmm. Wait, Was has it, the
0: technology improved? Have they, have they like reinvented the light stand to work outdoors now?
2: No, the, it's still just it's still all infuriating. Same, yeah. Yeah. You got to still make the lazy leg. It's mm-hmm. good tip. Very good tip. I, I don't do that. I just try not to bring lights most of the time. And then if you can, assistants just end up solving it all for you. That's How wise. do you guys do that when you're on video production? Just a ton of sandbags?
0: yeah (laughs) just like this look at the sandbags beside you just to hold this one table two sandbags or this whole thing's gonna come crumbling down upon me
3: uh just want to confirm that ChatGPT could write you a pretty good (laughs) intro without any prompts you know i
0: also wrote in that uh in the intro Mm -hmm. that he was a very well decorated photographer Mm. meaning he's won a lot of awards i thought it was about my fashion sense it's christmas ornaments
3: come on Listen to this line, though. Ruben's Lens doesn't just freeze moments. It freezes time in the most daring environments imaginable. Like, that's some good stuff. That is nice. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, can I have that for my portfolio? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, yeah.
1: Quotes from all these reputable magazines and then ChatGPT right at the top. Yeah. Just attribute it
2: to ChatGPT as well so everyone knows that it's a fraud. (laughs) ChatGPT.
1: Oh, man. That's too good.
2: Well, can we circle back to our conversation
0: before we started here we, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we were talking about burning man i guess mm. you did you just learn that brooke and i are engaged is that mm-hmm. how that came up yeah. yeah talking about burning man and you asked if uh we were just walking through uh puddles of urine and poo water out there after the rainstorms and then you brought up that on your ski expeditions when you're on the
2: in the wherever you are mm-hmm. that you fly your poo out it, it sort of depends on the environmental standards of the crew that you're with. Some people will just poo into a hole on the glacier if you're on a glacier camp and let mother nature solve it whenever that ends up coming out of the bottom of the glacier. Other times you'll bring a bucket and triple or quadruple line it with garbage bags and then do your business in this bucket and everyone's just using it like an outhouse and then that ends up triple bags tossed into a plane. And then when you land back in Anchorage or something like that, then you have to drive around town and try to figure out which McDonald's dumpster you're gonna toss it into. (laughs) yeah.
1: Yeah. So who in the grease bin. Who's responsible for carrying this bag, handling it, tying that final knot that hopefully doesn't blow out on the plane.
2: Most of the time it ends up being the person who's coordinated with the plane company ends up having to be like, I won't get to fly back into this base camp area if I end up soiling this plane so they're trying to like maintain their um standing so
1: they end up having to be the like poop holder uh-huh. shitty yeah. job yeah nice so I'm just wondering like I'm, I'm thinking when I go to the airport and I check a bag um sometimes it gets opened through security or like how <laughs> did you know how does uh how does one in, and this is so riveting ensure poop gets onto an
2: airplane you are the you're the old ground crew so the, this is just okay. with like a little single prop airplane so okay, okay hopefully okay. Poop. you're not going like,
3: through yvr with thought, a, I, that's why i was bang. like imagining you're boarding
2: an alaska airlines flight and mm-hmm. uh <laughs> and because you've been living on a glacier it starts as a solid and then by the time that you oh, no. make it to wherever place Mm-hmm. It's potentially changed. <laughs>
0: I like to put it on my body, like I'm holding <laughs> beer at hockey yeah, game. Just carry it right there
1: oh my yeah. My like bed. what happens if the bag's overweight? Do you have to redistribute the <laughs> load? <laughs> you got to take something out of that, sir. <laughs> you got, <laughs> uh, You're just like with a shoes. spoon, moving it across into a different bag for the next flight. Uh, a large spoon, hopefully. Is that like, are there any other sort of those behind the scenes on these like grandiose shoots that like people don't really think about, you know, obviously bathroom is one thing, but like even stuff like food or like showering or like, how does that even go about it? Showering is probably just a
2: no. Um, (laughs) Some people will just basically do their own little Wim Hof type bird bath or something like that and just wash themselves off with like a little rag or something like that. Mm. But probably you're just going to sort of. Do nothing for two weeks get pretty gross but everyone's gross so you can't really notice this so much mostly you end up noticing your level of grossness by like where you like meet the rest of the grossness of the people around you so if everyone's filthy you don't notice it as much which helps mm. um the food thing on those big expeditions is sort of crazy because you actually come face to face with how much food it takes to feed 10 people for 10 days so the amount that you have is absolutely nuts um Another aspect that's hard to plan for is just the fact that if you have any single point of something breaking in the field, it ends up potentially breaking your whole trip. So you need redundancies of as many things as possible. So um, some skiers will bring even like a whole toolkit to fix all of their boots and like all of the stuff that hopefully they don't even touch, but you just need it out there on the trip and the pro skiers will have six or, or uh, four skiers four pairs of skis in case they're breaking skis along the way or something like that they just this whole trip is going to make or break their season and they can't afford to have that loss
1: Mm -hmm. are you doing the same thing with photo gear like are you bringing spare lenses cards bodies um i'm bringing a spare body but i honestly have so few failures with
2: most of the gear that you're not going to bring a second of this like five thousand dollar lens on the trip. Um, and if you did, then you would probably just change your strategy of how you're going to shoot for the week. And if rather than shooting the Barbie angle from the glacier, you're going to just be like, okay, I'm going to go stand on the side of the mountain with the athletes and shoot it with wide angle lenses and solve the problem some way. What's the Barbie? Yeah. What's the Barbie angle? Barbie angle is ski parlance for sort of pointing straight at the mountain from a long distance with a telephoto lens. And that normally makes the train look much steeper because you're sort of looking at front on instead of from the bottom up or from the top down. Um, it just ends up making it look the best. And some people attribute the name of that to it's where you would set up your barbecue. So <laughs> oh. it's your Barbie angle, like an Aussie saying Barbie, or other people say that it's the Barbie angle because it makes it look the most aesthetic. Oh, okay. now who was thinking the doll? Me, me, yeah, yeah. Sure. We're all thinking the doll. it crossed my mind though it
0: could
1: have been a shrimp on the barbie yeah you need to hang out with more aussies yeah and (laughs) skiers and skiing aussies in whistler so okay i'm trying to think does that translate to mountain biking too like if you shoot say like farwall canyon very steep loose shoots in williams lake can you just shoot directly at that thing to make it look steeper
2: yeah if you were going to go shoot farwall or the stuff in um green river utah those types of landscapes or some of the stuff that i've done on like rock slabs if you shoot at the angle and now that's a lot easier with drones as well because you can just get out and point at something from the best angle but sometimes it's actually having all of the tools that ends up with you shooting everything in a repetitive way so if you can have a drone you can always shoot from the perfect bar- barbie angle but then you'll shoot the repetitive angle that everyone else could always shoot so there's a way that there's a benefit to having these creative constraints that sort of limit what you want to do or limit what you can do and then force you to
1: move around and do something different very interesting mm-hmm. huh are you are you messing with drone photography much now yeah. oh he's a certified yeah. drone pilot so remember, that didn't make it into anything. the bio yeah
0: ChatGPT <laughs> didn't know that
1: but yeah are you uh, like and uh, sorry I am mean, gonna act like an idiot here act yeah act I am <laughs> is that drone carrying a full-blown like uh DSLR or is it like the, using the drone's camera uh just using the drone's camera okay. for a lot of the
2: stuff um you can fly one of these big heavy ones but it's just going to be way too complex and just too much gear for you to bring in the field so you end up being too slow to move or something like that but for like ski resort photography those kind of things it's been very useful for just
1: changing the way that you can shoot a landscape which is nice that's sweet mm-hmm. yeah i wouldn't even think like it, it must have changed the game to some degree right it was, especially with
2: skiing but it, it's sort of like you guys too like anytime that you're out there you're sort of just cycling through a bunch of tools to try to get a variety of angles and establishing shots right like the drone thing changed everything for you guys sort of maybe only three years before it changed something for photographers I think yeah that, well yeah.
0: and I, th- I feel like people people keep evolving the ideas. now people put flashes on the drones and they're using that or lights to hang lights and
2: mm-hmm. keeps what are you what's your go-to drone uh the Mavic 3 pro now oh, okay yeah that's probably the same one as you guys no
0: uh no we're still <laughs> A uh, Mavic two. That's like
1: it's a ripcord start, uh, <laughs> gas engine.
2: <laughs> it's like yeah, I got one propeller now out of four. You have to like plug it in to have like a block heater heating it up yeah. before it flies. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, it looks rough. It's seen some shit. Now,
0: actually, yeah. this was the drone that uh, if you watch our Hornby Island video on Mahalo, my dude channel, um, we get it stuck at the top of like a three hundred foot or two hundred foot uh, old growth tree. That's success at the very very tip top and uh, long story short we had an arborist climb that tree and cap uh retrieve it and he did it all for free just for the fun of it and That's that was the tallest awesome. tree he
2: ever climbed and he said he's been climbing trees since he was like four or something on one of our glacier trips the cinematographer had uh inspired to and he was bringing it into land and just before it lands it had some gps error and just like oh and it was when they also made these ones colored white we're stuck on this glacier so we've just like ten thousand dollars just and just like we're like there's no chance we're ever going to find this so the guys like someone tried to look around with a um, binocular for a while gave up and then we're like okay it's gone and then the next day we go and ski a different mountain and as one of the skiers is coming out of the line they like wait what that looked like that rock looked like a drone and like ended up finding this operational totally fine the wow. drone's totally good but had lived out on a glacier overnight um and i think it was like three kilometers away from where where cool. we were before so total chance of finding it back wow yeah.
0: i feel like we only get like one of those in our life
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: after that they're gone they're gone. how many, dr-
2: how many drones have you guys
0: deleted <sighs> zero yeah i've never what deleted a drone me neither i thought that was the day though when it was stuck in a tree mm-hmm. and it stayed overnight too Luckily it was a clear night; it didn't rain, and that was and, like the had
3: before we had to leave too. Yeah,
2: and we had all the footage; we didn't dump any mm-hmm. footage. Rookie, rookie move. Did you guys try putting a like a hook on another drone to like pick it off of the <laughs> to, like, recovery
1: drone to go scary. like
2: fishing for drones? Yeah, we we just went to the drone store on Hornby Island.
0: <laughs> <laughs> cost thirty thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> import fees,
3: man. It's all made of wood. The Hornby. <laughs> <laughs> Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: it's
1: early it's monday it's monday relax guys dave got all excited about hockey now he's spent
0: so uh <laughs> reuben can you explain to the room here and the Chuthers, if you're familiar with the Chuthers and each other nation feeding off each mm-hmm. other's our viewers the Chuthers who we mm-hmm. know and love
4: mm-hmm.
0: uh tell us about this trilogy that we brought up because i mean as far as i know they're your greatest works mm-hmm. and uh probably there's probably a lot of people that know about it without realizing that it's you uh because you may have seen it on reddit
2: or Mm -hmm. whatever um so this was an idea that I sort of evolved off of a different ski photographer Grant Gunderson had a photograph of a skier at night and if you do a really really long exposure with your camera at night you can see the rotation of the earth in the sky and Off of that photo, I was like, oh, you could do a couple other things like the Northern Lights with that, or um, you could shoot under an eclipse. So that was sort of the idea, how it started. And then I brought the first idea to go try to shoot the, under the Northern Lights to a ski magazine. And they're like, that sounds great. Go do it. It's a story. And I was like, what if we fail? And they're like, that sounds like a great story. (laughs) So went up to the Yukon and tried to shoot. This um, Northern Lights photo. Then a couple of years later, Solomon greenlit this project to go shoot um, the eclipse version. And then years after that, I worked on a new one called Nebula, which we just released the video online in the fall. And it um, is sort of the thought experiment that started it was thinking what would it look like if the Hubble telescope tried to shoot a ski photo? So then I sort of reverse engineered and remixed a couple different techniques from astrophotography and then that made this whole trilogy and it honestly brought me through like a lot of the coolest experiences I've had in life so there's a cool way that it was this like uh, motivating factor for all of these ridiculous adventures and all of these cool places that I got to go um and probably my most well-known work as well um it is interesting because like it feels like it's a little bit of a pigeonhole because it's just this one aspect and it's just, it's really only one idea repeated a couple times and I like space and nerdy stuff, but it's just like this one element of um, what I'm about. But now it's probably the most well-known stuff and the videos have been watched like millions of times online. So now that's like the entire, that's what chat GPT thinks <laughs> Ruben is, but mm-hmm. that's fair. And it's, um, Yeah, it's been an interesting journey because like the very first one, the Northern Lights photo, I left the trip thinking that I had failed. I didn't think that I had the photo Mm -hmm. when I left the trip because when we were shooting this photo, it's like 2 a.m., it's minus 20, we're in the middle of nowhere in the Yukon and it's just me and a skier and there's two other guys sleeping in a tent like a couple kilometers away. So we're trying to shoot this photo and the Northern Lights are perfectly unpredictable no matter what they're going to move independent of anything that you can expect where normally clouds are annoying and what we shoot all the time, but you can sort of predict what they might do. The Northern lights are completely separate from that. So we'd set up a whole scene, set up all of the lights and the flashes and then Northern lights, would just like whip across to the other side of the sky. And after doing this like five, six times, we've got almost nothing. We shoot this last one and there's actually a small little pocket of snow, a very small avalanche rips out as the skiers doing this turn. So I turn off the camera partway through the long exposure because I'm just like, oh, we need to take care of the safety of the situation. And then um, I don't really like looking at the camera. It doesn't look like the photo's actually there because the white balance had changed on the camera, the setting. So I left the trip being like, OK, well, I tried and I failed on the story in this magazine. is going to be about failure. It's going to be about me totally sucking at what I, <laughs> my ambition was. And then and when I brought that photo into Photoshop and just like brightened it up a tiny bit and adjust the white balance, all of a sudden this like dream photo came to life. It was just like mind blowing to have gone through the whole like grieving process of being like, I suck, this is over. I blew my one chance at like a career in photography. And then you press like three buttons and then all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, is this, is this actually here? Yeah, that's crazy. Imagine if generative fill was a thing back <laughs> then, it would have been a lot easier. <laughs> well, people, people have always been sort of saying that as well. It's like, why don't you just like... Think. Wouldn't Photoshop be easier? So it's like, well, yeah, but like it, <laughs> it, it's not anything. Like it's not interesting yeah. to see. Uh, have you had
0: uh, any like chatter from purists who don't agree with the digital side of it and they are they only impressed unless it was true film? Because there's probably like a small percentage of people out there think, oh, well, I've, if I've you never have it on the camera and you had to brighten it, I've never get
2: it. I've never got chatter from film purists um but the one i used to be um so a couple of photographers used to have sort of the ability to contribute to nat geo adventures instagram account so you would just have the password to the account and you'd be able to post to it so when nebula came out i posted the photo on nat geo adventures account and then about 30 minutes later the photo disappeared so i emailed the editor and was just like hey guys just wanted to check in what happened with this And they're like we, we think that this might be a bit of a loss to the credibility of the brand of Nat Geo Adventure because this photo doesn't look like it could be a potentially real thing. So from that side, that whole thing just got deleted, even though the whole project, the like, whole reason it was difficult and took years to complete was because we were doing it authentically. And this thing is something that if our eyesight was different, the world... Like, the night sky would look like that to us. So it's just limited by our
1: perspective. Yeah, it was interesting. Like look, going back and looking at those images, uh, Dave and I were chatting, and they almost look so surreal that you're like, oh, this doesn't exist. Like I, I can't see it like that. And it, I wonder, like from your end, are you kind of just like, yeah, yeah, it's just a camera? Like, how do you explain it to those type of people who are just uninformed? Boomers. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, I just don't think you try like that person is probably going to be starting from an angle where they're trying not to be impressed and you've already declared that it's going to be a fight so you're just like cool you can go fight whoever you want about this this doesn't matter to me so like the i think that the creative process you have to try to make sure that the emphasis is mostly on what you want to create and less about what the world wants to see in it it is nice when the world sees it because all of these art forms are communication everything you want to be able to be seen by someone. So it is gratifying for those things to actually go get seen in the world. But otherwise, like, it's just like anyone that's like, you say like, screw the haters. I don't like, that's not, um, the perspective of those people isn't who I wanna craft my art and my like, existence around. Yeah, You wanna craft that around the people who are going to motivate stuff that you find exciting and that evolves what you do. I guess Aurora and
0: Nebula kind of have that, this element where people can just write it off to being fake, but eclipse maybe doesn't have that because it looks very real. Gi- gigantic moon, skier in front, the silhouette. Mm-hmm.
1: or Gigantic
0: sun. Or, or sun, yeah. Mm-hmm. Solar eclipse, right? That's what I was yeah. trying to re- remind myself of. It was a solar or lunar
2: eclipse. And this was a very rare instance. Uh, it's a decently rare instance, but it's a very uncommon to have a solar eclipse above snow. They happen more of the time near the, the equator, so you don't get to see them as often when there's places with snow. So that was part of what made it super rare. Brooke, can you uh, pull up the uh, photo so we can look at it, please? So that any of this conversation makes sense. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's just mind blowing. It's mind blowing. And I wonder where, where have you, yeah, find the eclipse one. Where have these photos been seen now, years later? Yeah, are they hanging in a gallery somewhere? In the
2: I've never had a gallery space, so they've mostly lived online with the movies. Um, the Aurora was in three different magazines. Uh, eclipse was the front of uh, Powder Magazine on the photo annual the one year. And then... Um, nebula that last one that we're looking at right now was on the cover of coast mountain culture magazine
1: that's just crazy
2: so crazy how do you guys find dealing with trying to evolve the stuff that you're creatively inspired to make while you're also creating so much content like podcasting doing the commercial work that you guys do Creating Mahalo and then envisioning other stuff that you want to create further down the line as like artists and creatives. Yes, yeah, it's a good question. I think yeah. in one
0: way, like collaborating with new people helps add new tools to the tool belt. Um, you know, whether it's like our friends in VFX or something, or maybe learning from our friends who know about AI a little better and trying to—I don't know—just bring new ideas, things that we wouldn't. I feel like, at least for me, I feel like I have a kind of a minimal kind of approach to the film stuff. Minimal? Minimal in some way. Like, I don't know. We're working on a demo reel right
2: now. I'm just thinking about like the video with (laughs) Peter Matthews under the soil, like screaming (laughs) and stuff. And I'm like, it just doesn't come across as minimal. That wouldn't be Mm. the word on the tip of my tongue. Mm. Yeah. How do you, how are you defining minimal?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well,. Like again, looking at the demo reel we're making. So we're looking at like 10 years of our own work. And I just, I, I compare myself to other people who put a lot more like uh, pizzazz on their edits. They do a lot more transitions and stuff. And maybe in the editing, a lot of just like straight cuts in, in, in our work. Um, and then I'm usually like most pleased by a kind of a simple, uh, a simple image. Yes, it's, he's buried underground and that's a, quite a complicated process, but the image is literally just a head and some dirt. Right. And, and there's not like a whole lot going on in the background or anything is it?
3: <sighs> but it's a communications exercise, right? Where, especially cause we're doing comedy. If you add too much pizzazz or something, you're now not paying attention to the joke or the you know dialogue or the scene. So yeah, I don't know. It's like whatever the thing necessitates. And I feel like our stuff doesn't necessitate like crazy transitions or whatever. But if you watch movies, no one does transitions. So. It's not really unless you're watching like star wars where they're using fucking wipes and <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: but like in, on like instagram or music videos or something yeah like, sure a lot of the people who are like very popular they um i don't know you see a lot of these multimedia uses they're using like it looks like paper cutouts they're cutting pe- the rotoscoping people they're you know but
3: they're, they're almost those are almost like tricks and tools to grab your attention beyond the substance of what the thing is. It's like, that's the razzle-dazzle to be like, yeah. don't worry, there's nothing really happening here, but cool paper transition, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: and, and I noticed that on uh, on the weekend that uh, some people are far better at doing that type of thing and going crazy with the edits, and I know what it takes. And, mm-hmm. I, and sometimes at the start of a project, I think, I wanna do that, I wanna do that this time, I wanna go absolutely bonkers on the edit. And then I, I, I get to that point and I'm like, ah, I'm too, screw this I'm gonna abandon this project let's just do some straight cuts boom it's minimal
3: but I think the (laughs) point of the project would have to be almost the other the like whatever the crazy thing you're talking about that would actually have to be sort of the point yeah whereas if you can make it and just do straight cuts then it's like then you didn't need the other stuff
2: Mm -hmm, yeah have you guys gone back and watched like Shaun of the Dead or those movies anytime Mm -hmm. recently mind blowing when I watched Shaun of the Dead I just think like I always think the movie is going to
0: end like five times because it just keeps going and going and going and it's crazier and crazier and I think how do you do this how do you plan it how many shots is this how many days does it take
2: well that one I find interesting for like I think the camera work is relatively simple in some of the stuff but they do so much visual comedy where they're like cu- they're layering these visual jokes that mm-hmm. they s- plant a seed like two scenes ahead of a punchline that. All plays out in the visual realm and there's no like there's no dialogue attached to it. So it's mm-hmm. interesting with it just being minimal in the like editing. It doesn't create anything, but it just takes this sort of like higher perspective on the creation of jokes across time and layering all of these different themes on top of each other. That's so fun in the comedy realm. I think it's like
0: and there's like thoughtfulness. Well, I appreciate the thoughtfulness and like the scripting and the storytelling, but yeah, I don't know. I still compare, comparing myself, ourselves to other people. Like, I still find ourselves having this kind of simple
3: kind of matt aesthetic com- comparison is the thief of joy i know <laughs> i know i should stop doing that <laughs> if but. you watch our video time to buy an e-bike mm-hmm. it's very edgar wright inspired with mm-hmm. like you know A of whip zooms, zooms yeah we're well, not no whip zooms what whip do you call it? crash crash zooms crash and whip zoom. pans and all that kind of stuff so yeah definitely got that vibe yeah. i don't know if
0: we answered your question though how do we strive to make projects better when we're putting out so much stuff. Oh, I know. Dave makes a joke that we just do everything at a seven out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> I made that joke
3: once. Uh, I'll have you know,
0: And it crushed. It crushed. Everybody in the room laughed and I was like, yeah, that's kind of true. I, I, think say- where I, was,
2: <laughs> I think where I was fishing was a little bit more on the longer trajectory right. of like, if you um, are looking to try to take steps outside of the genre or the pattern of filmmaking that you've done, if you're trying to create a lot of stuff in the present moment, it can be hard to sort of work on those longer trajectory goals. If you're like, okay, at the end of this, like I want filmmaking to be 10 years of my life. And then after that, I want to go do this other phenomena, or I want to work in Hollywood or whatever your like alternate dream is. Um, How you guys think about that? Because when you look at the stuff that you've all been making, you have been doing this consistently where you're like, oh, my life looks complicated already and now I'm going to add a podcast to all of the other stuff that I'm putting out that doesn't look like something that you just like slip into or is that how that happened
1: I think it always kind of comes from a desire like for us I feel like the podcast was like we want to have conversations with people that we might not get to talk to normally because we're busy doing other stuff and this allowed us to do that and relatively it's an easier thing for us to do and it's a quicker turnaround than say hey let's go out with reuben and shoot like this you know 10 minute documentary behind the scene mm-hmm. type of thing where we're like is that even hanging out that's kind of just working at that point you're just working together but mm-hmm. this is much more like casual setting
0: yeah and it does come back to collaboration a little bit mm-hmm. we yeah we wanted to be able to collaborate in some way with people like you but not have to have this huge ask like hey want to go to uh Alaska for 8 months poop bag and, and uh, <laughs> you know we just
2: we chew you up and spit you out room and that's what we want. Yeah, you don't need 80 hours out of someone's time to be able to do this stuff. Not necessarily, but also, if you want to go to Alaska for 8 months it'd be an honor. I'm I'm down at, at any point in time just like send it into the woods. I'm totally down. That's well, sweet. <laughs> we're <whichever> done. Calendar. <laughs> um the uh Sorry, Jason there. I was just thinking about a different aspect of what you were talking about. The photography, um, one of the things that I've enjoyed the most out of being a photographer, but also now I'm starting to miss is the way that when doing like editorial magazine photography, um, you get invited into a person's life and you get to have license to ask them questions. That would be a little bit awkward if you were just like ran into them in a bar. And there's a really cool element to the way that you get to experience the world through that. And I imagine that you guys also get so much of that from this where like, if we ran into each other in the bike park, you're not gonna instantly be like, hey, how do you feel about the fact that you failed all of these times (coughs) on your way to you like progression? It'd be like, okay, that's a bit of a heavy question. (laughs) But because of the environment of this thing that you create, and I think that's partially why we saw so many people create podcasts over the last years, is because you get licensed to have conversations and evolve the way we interact way way faster and it's like a it's a hyperspeed relationship development kind of place and i think that it's super super cool like i i created my own little thing for a while that was similar different elements but i was trying to sort of like run a podcast in nature that was um adventure based partially out of the same kind of elements of being like i want to go just get the chance to interview the scientists about all the stuff that they've got going on, but I can't just phone them up and be like, Hey, I need a day or time to just pick your brain. So the, Mm -hmm. the medium creates this experience.
1: Yeah. And I think that goes the same for like certain videos we've created or ads we've created too, where we had a desire, an idea to do something. Maybe it was one joke. Maybe it was like, Oh, I really like this sketch from this other comedy show. How do we make that mountain biking? And like, the way to execute it is this commercial opportunity we have, or this, you know, we, we make films, so we can kind of put it into a film that we're doing. And I think, like I said, podcasting is the same thing, where it's just the desire to connect with different people.
0: It's, only, it's also the only way in which we're comfortable in being confrontational to one another. <laughs> we can call each other out on the spot.
2: Th- this is a like, group
3: therapy. I'm yeah.
2: mediating your group therapy session. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. What did you need to say to us, Dave? To you, oh, to you to guys, a, no, yeah, to us, like what was, uh, what was on your heart?
3: Um, I got worms. I don't know, yeah, you put me on the spot. Usually, usually uh, yeah, I got worms.
1: Not to be racist or anything, go on. No, you go on. <laughs> you press the button. Um, no, Ruben, I, I wanted to flip the that question <laughs> on you. Where in a similar oh, way, oh, this turned into my therapy. Session. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's uh, it's called deflection, it's a classic therapy thing. <laughs> um no but like the you know we're talking about these three big projects and obviously um there's a lot of stuff created around them and a lot of these companies have supported these trips do you think the appetite for stuff like that is going to continue or in this new kind of age we're living in where it's like fast media fast consumption like scrolling all day just quicker stuff do you think a lot of people want more of that, more digestible, quick, you mm, know, new. I,
2: th- I think that it all changes quickly at the same time that it doesn't really change. If you look at like Solomon Freeski TV, they were making content that is very similar to a lot of the stuff that gets created on YouTube right now, but under a model where Solomon funded it for a production company to make it for them to put it on YouTube and they were ahead of the curve. Now you have all of these self-funded creators who are creating all of this content themselves, and they now basically just run the entire business without having this third-party fund it. So the funding model has changed a ton, but the medium is still sort of just like a trip experiential storytelling, maybe talk about the environment or uh, like the location, I mean, um, have a topic while you go on an adventure. So those types of things are still totally available. And people are still going to always be interested in a story of human aspiration. If someone's going out to try to do something where there's a true element of the ability for that to fail and the person to not succeed or succeed and then learn and evolve, that's like the central storyline that humanity has always been interested in. So I think that that element in those spaces are always going to be available, but it's all changing a ton that. You used to just be able to go up to this company and say hey we're going to go do this thing and make you this video and we'll be done and it was a very simple business model you basically just begged for money created the thing and that was it where now you have to sort of be in charge of these um the whole thing more yourselves which is like the model of how i think you guys are running um, like your trips with mahalo and those kind of things where you just and you're like hey this would be a really fun thing to do but now you guys have to retain and maintain an audience, which is a whole project that you guys now are in charge of instead of having one title sponsor. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I, I think that uh, the human aspiration aspect is interesting because I, I say that a lot for like when we're conceptualizing our, our videos, people wanna see like struggle. They wanna see you actually go out and do something courageous. They wanna, they, there should be an authentic element of failure I totally agree that that's not going away, Mm -hmm. but it's interesting though, like, so you were saying you would do these projects where you would follow someone for, I'm guessing multiple days and you would ask them questions and you would also
2: write an article. Sometimes I would do the writing of the article. Sometimes I'd work with a journalist who would, I would just do photography and um, they would do the writing so like uh i think one of the last versions of that i did was basically i went and lived for a week with josh bender um so he's sort of now lives outside of sacramento and his life has changed a ton from where he was hitting the jaw drop and all of this really crazy stuff in neural disorder and then i just got to spend a week with this person who was like a pivotal character in my like my formative years of mountain biking and then you could just follow this person and document their life in a way that there's no way that it, me as just a mountain biker on the like west coast would ever have license to get to go have that experience.
0: And I guess in the past, a lot of your work would appear in print magazines. Mm-hmm. And how has the kind of death of print magazine affected you? Um,
2: I think it's mostly changed what I create because Different images work best in different environments. So if you want to try to create something for Instagram, it sort of needs to relate to a person within about a half of a second. So it needs to be very quickly digestible. So like the style that I approached the story with Josh Bender wouldn't fit for online, which is sometimes a bit frustrating because I find myself a bit more naturally pulled to shoot in a different way that's a bit more complex. But then you just have to like, Be gracious enough to not follow your creativity into a black hole you have to like stay on the rails and know your audience um so that's changed a lot of where um what type of trips that i'll do or types of experience so now i'll do a little bit more of just like um ski resort photography destination bc um those types of commercial work
0: doing my deep dive this morning i I saw that you did a year at uh, for school photography school Western mm-hmm. Western
2: Academy of Photography. Is this Alberta? No, it was in Victoria, Victoria. Okay, yeah. yeah. It um it went bankrupt one year after I graduated, so you shut the place down. Yeah, yeah. That was it. Mic drop. <laughs> um. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's the most uh, valuable certificate anymore.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back, was it well worth it? Um do you still kind of hang on to lessons you learned? Yeah, for sure. That, yeah.
2: I think that like there were, so I think one of the most valuable things that you get from going for a purchased education is that you get someone else who has looked at what your blind, blind spots could be. You can go to YouTube and get all of the information about being a professional photographer and more, but you don't know which things you don't know yet, where, when you go to this institution, it's going to cover all of this stuff. So for me it created the career that I've had. So I'm super grateful for it. I know that it would have been likely I could have found a career without going to school. I would have just ended up being a different person. Um, And I do think that I'm happy I avoided doing a four-year degree in photography. Most of the people who I've seen who have gone and done that have not followed their passion beyond their graduation, which is sort of tragic. Interesting, just burned them out in some way.
0: Or yeah, uh, do I think brand. that
2: you, you might think that you have to create something that's so incredibly meaningful because you spend mm-hmm. all of this time looking at all of the artists who have been the best of all time, who are probably attached to the like, change of the trajectory of humanity. So then you're stuck there sitting in Emily Carr looking at it, be like, I need to change humanity. And then you don't just go out in the woods and play with mountain bikes and cameras like I've done, mm-hmm. which has been a lot of fun. It hasn't been super meaningful and I don't think I've changed the world but it's been a great lifestyle and it has inspired some other
1: people to chase their dreams do you ever find you you have to kind of play this balancing act between like yeah client deliverables and like passion project and like how do you find the time and also like the mental balance between all that um
2: I do find that hard The way that I addressed that when I started photography was that I actually did this whole sort of side career as a architecture photographer. And Mm. I'd made a separate business so that none of my clients would overlap and know that I actually was sort of a fraud at mountain bike (laughs) photography and I wasn't actually a professional yet. And then on the other side- It's like Batman. And then the other side, I was like a uh, architecture and interior design photographer. So during that era, I like cut my hair short because I was like, I have to be like a professional in the city and all of that. And then (laughs) finally, once I actually had enough going on the sports side, I was like, all right, sweet. I can go back to like long hair, hippie style. And that's uh, sort of rad. That was a really great way to make sure that I could be more pure in my um, creative side because I wasn't as, um, I didn't need to monetize it as fast. So there's a great element to just keeping the one side on that. And I think that a lot of creatives feel like the bar they need to jump over is that their salary has to be from their creativity before they think that they're a pro or that they're doing it. But that. That is what we define as a pro, but it's not actually going to necessarily foster your best creativity. So if you still just work at 7-Eleven, but you can do exactly the thing that you want and not change your creative pursuit, you might create better uh, better work across your lifetime. So the model, I think, sometimes leads people into places that are not as creatively fulfilling. Does that make sense?
1: I think so. Yeah, you're you're basically saying like, well, no, a lot of stuff, but, but how do I apply to 7-Eleven? That's yeah. what I got. <laughs> well, just
2: that if you, if you make your money in your creativity, you yeah. have to play this balancing act. Yeah. If you can figure out how to have a career on the side that doesn't demand that of you, you can stay pure in both of them and you can just have a job and also be a great artist. And I think that that model is underappreciated because people want to do this thing where they're like, I'm a pro because my salary comes from my creativity.
1: Right.
0: I listened to Brandon Semenuk's podcast. Uh, he did with Gypsy Tales, I believe. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how he loves doing, being a mountain biker professionally because he's getting paid to do the thing that he would have just been spending money on anyways, mm-hmm. which is a kind of a great way to look at it. But then, yeah, I mean, for us, sometimes, you know, we're out there mountain biking, making the films and it's a little, feels more like a job than a, a hobby the thing we love every now and then mm-hmm. but i mean it's just it's so sometimes it's inevitable you got to push through it you know and hopefully you're taking on a
2: project telling a story that means something to you yeah it's a it's a messy soup and i don't think that there's a good way to find your way through it unfortunately mm-hmm. like you we just like i live in an environment where my play has all of the same like mental cues as My job. And then my job has all of the same mental cues as plays. Then all of a sudden I'm procrastinating when I'm at the keyboard because I'm following some creative idea down some trajectory. But it's like, is this create? am I working right now or am I just being curious? And it's hard to I think trying to define it exactly as one way or the other, it also makes it it's an irrelevant question in a way. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So I wanna learn
0: how to take a better photo. (laughs) <laughs> okay. super technical and you know I admire your work I look like especially back in the day when I'm young kid looking at the slideshow I'm just like how do you see this stuff how do you capture I'll never capture anything as good as as what Ruben can capture and I'm wondering about I kind of hate this question when people say what's your process but I'll, I'll make a specific example we're out in the woods today it's a foggy day we're gonna shoot Jason first
1: uh, first mistake <laughs>
0: We're gonna shoot Jason dropping, uh, doing like a stunt, like just a drop or a jump or something. Do you have like a yeah a process? Like I I know for example mm-hmm. Sterling Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Um, Who's that? Another well decorated uh, legendary photographer in the mountain bike.
1: Just for the Dave's, Sports. Dave's out there. Space. Yeah, I know who he is.
0: Of course. <laughs> uh, I know. I, I believe that the first thing that he does. What I learned from him is he does the three sixty before he even considers anything he just walks 360 around the stunt just to kind of get a you know open his options i'm gonna have
2: to steal that that's a good idea all right there you go <laughs> now we know your
0: process sterling
2: <laughs> just exploded somewhere
1: <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> my
0: move you <laughs> taught me that i think uh, also our friend kaz i think he borrowed that one too and it's a good move that
2: that's is just, a good move that's just um, kaz. I've done Mm -hmm. a similar version of that. One of the things that I try to think about is what is like interesting or significant about the current environment. So like if I'm in a place, it's like, is the weather interesting today? Is it foggy? Then the fog could be the hero of the shot instead of the athlete. Um, And it depends if you're working with a Brandon Semenuk or someone who rides a bike like me. You're probably going to want to shoot the environment if you've got me as talent because I'm just going to ride through the place and that's all you get. It's Jason as a talent. It's Jason. So, as yes, the vlog is the hero. Yeah. <laughs> or then you can work with an athlete Therapy. if you've got someone who's got the skill to be able to do a performance where you can focus on how great they are at what they do. Um, so, focusing on what is the most interesting aspect of the current condition is one of the best things. Okay. Another aspect is just chasing really great conditions is still one of the best ways to create stuff that looks great. So like shooting some stuff for Abus helmets this year, we had a a 2am start to get up Brome Ridge early in the morning and we got out of the car and there's like shooting stars and it's still pitch black because we wanted to be so high at the right time. And then you just get great light that just looks completely different. And that's, it's a, it's sort of boring to tell you that it's just like, go go be up there early and late, but you also get really great experiences from doing that. Um, it's, I, I continually sort of remind myself that it's not the way that most people experience the mountains. Most people are not at the top in Alpine Glow, but that's like the normal experience that I have. And that will pretty much always make a great experience.
0: Well, maybe it's a little boring, but I appreciate it because sometimes In my heart, you know, it's the day before the shoot, and I know the best, people say, when are we going to start? I know the best option is to say, like, crack a dawn earlier, two hours before, Mm -hmm. but sometimes it's hard to be in that position to be like, we're all waking up after four hours of sleep, everybody. It's really Mm -hmm. hard, and you got to get the, like, right people around, and you got to make sure everybody's on board, but... It's important, you know, and another
2: a great tool for that one is framing your start and then giving them the choice. But you frame it in a way that's just evil. So you're like, you want to start at 5 a.m. and that's going to suck. But then you could say, hey, we're going to start at like you. You tell me, do you want to start at three or five? And then they're like, oh, five, because they feel like they got <laughs> to sleep in that much longer. Mm. So you just use that little Jedi mind trick and it makes it less bad.
3: The old Craigslist lists the price a little bit higher than you want to sell it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can take $20 off. Love mm-hmm. it. I don't
0: know if this is a Sterling Lawrence quote or he took it from someone else, but uh, you don't know until you go. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of like hesitation. You just, you, ah, it's hard to get out of bed. You want to go to the top of the mountain early. Ah, what if it's cloudy? Uh, but like the best
2: photographs were the people who went. Mm hmm. I'm also just chasing like mixed weather conditions. If you're going up and it's bluebird, it's never gonna be that spectacular. And if you go up when it's like mixed, you might get skunked 50% of the time, but then you also get something that's like way, way more interesting. Right.
0: Okay, so uh, the 360 perhaps we'll use that. Uh, Look for something interesting. Um, Mixed weather conditions, light. Mm -hmm. Now, what are you doing with the sun? What are you doing with flashes? How do you?
2: I'm not, I'm not using flashes very much no. anymore. Um, sometimes I will, but it, they sort of feel like a bit of a fashion trend. They come and they go. Right now, everyone's more into like blurry shots and film and everything out of focus. So you can just sort of like attach your camera to a paint shaker and you're probably going to make great <laughs> art right now. Um, what other rules? Well, I'm thinking, th- I think there's like a debate,
0: okay? Mm. I, I feel like I generally, when I went to film school, it was a short course, I it stuck with me to backlight things as much as possible. I took to my lighting instructor, uh, Bikes at Night, which was a, a film that like Jason and I and some other friends worked on. Tons my, of
1: awards and accolades. You probably mm-hmm, heard about it. Mm-hmm,
0: Nat Geo. Yeah. Um, Staff pick?
1: <laughs>
0: probably a couple, I think. <laughs> the front page of YouTube. Uh, actually, it was just on our Facebook, I think. Uh, anyways. We brought lights into the backyard, we had dirt jumps, and we were, yeah, I got I borrowed some lights from, from our film class, and uh, we lit everything, and I guess I front lit everything, because the instructor said, all right, so, you know, this is cool, but I would front light, because you're going to get more, shat- or sorry, I would backlight everything, because you're going to get more shadows, and see here, it's all just kind of blowing it out here, and it was a, it was a turning moment for me, I'm like, okay, yeah, I gotta, maybe backlight is like the hero, so <laughs> I think in general that's like my go-to i'm like okay well let's backlight it's like a sexier version Mm -hmm. and that would be in my opinion when you take a shot of a bike just a you know just a regular old shot of a bicycle standing there in the forest is to backlight it but i noticed on instagram i think it was normal mountain bike or something he had he made like a meme that was like Mm -hmm. something he made a joke about backlighting versus front lighting and the butt of the joke was who the heck backlights a bike shot? It's about front lighting, you freaking idiots. You got to put the light right on the bike. And I was thinking, wait, no, I think that's kind of backwards. You want to define
2: the bike with the shadows and everything. So I'm curious. That that R- does sound sort of backwards or that we're both saying the a similar thing in different ways? Like maybe he's talking about like creating a pool of light that highlights it, that separates it from a background that you like bikes are They're not a simple shape, right? There's so much going on with cables and spokes and everything. So if you have a highly textured background behind the bike, no matter which way you put the light on it, it's going to look sort of crap. So if you try to isolate something with a cleaner background and you can do that with like a shallow depth of field, or you could do that by like putting a light overhead that just illuminates the only area and then everything else behind it is black or dark, that's going to help with that but what you're saying about backlighting is like 100 percent true i would shoot almost everything backlit you're almost never shooting with the sun at your back everything just looks sort of flat and not textured
0: yeah or f- shooting like family portraits in your yard not mm-hmm. only does in my opinion the photo look better when you're backlighting the the subject but, oh they're also going to have the sun in their eyes and their face is going to be scrunched up because they're trying to keep the sun out mm-hmm yeah i don't know i think
2: yeah that's the same thing if you're shooting that group of friends and you have like the sun in your eyes everyone looks all squinty and they can't do they're just like they look like they're eating a lemon and if you've got the light at their back you just need to make sure you brighten it up so you can actually see their faces and then you're good
0: i think we should put a poll up on instagram one day and see what the general public thinks because i think there is a thing that most people who aren't photographers they think front lighting because it's the obvious choice well i need light i'm gonna pour light onto my subject right Mm
1: -hmm. I'm sure some people don't even like think about it in that much technical detail. They're probably just like, yeah, okay, so don't yeah, turn around. And like, they, yeah, you're, they're doing what you're saying, but they just think like, yeah, you want to be as much sun as possible. But yeah, as much know? light as possible. Like, of course. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I agree. Backlight.
0: <laughs> and another interesting, sorry, this has turned into things that I've learned. But uh, another interesting thing that stuck with me from film school was that uh, if you watch a movie, like the, the shadows are generally on camera side. So if you watch like two characters talking to each other, if you look at the faces, the shadows normally on the side that's closest to camera. Mm-hmm. You'll rarely see that the light is
2: on the face. Yeah, makes sense, right? Or do you guys bring in a uh, like a big black panel when you're shooting faces close up on like, yeah, like a, a, negative negative a negative fill, negative fill, like just right above your camera or something like that?
0: Yeah, sometimes we'll do something like
2: that. We've definitely so got same, a lot, of- same kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Definitely got a
2: lot better at shaping light. And
0: having this space has been awesome because we just have the overhead lighting grid and we have all these different types of lights now and it's a great space for experimenting. So one last thing I wanted to ask on how to take a better photo. I remember... G- Dave's going to sleep over here. Yeah, <laughs> Dave had not said much and it's Dave. not even really a heavy mountain bike podcast, just mostly a photography podcast, but I'm, he's just kind of
3: nodding. I'm feeling shamed right now. I'm just listening. You guys have good questions. so It's therapy. I, I'm not just
0: talking for You're the good? sake of
3: talking, you know? <laughs>
0: Uh, my question. Was, okay, yeah, Jess Finlay. You know Jess Finlay? Hmm. Yeah, wildlife photographer. Hope to get him on the podcast one time. Um, he, I remember he kind of shamed photography. I don't want to say shamed. It's putting a lot of words in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> he said like, oh yeah, classic mountain bike photography. You just put the junk in the f- in the front, meaning you like put like some like bushes in the front to get out of focus, right? Mm-hmm. And it kind of messed with me even now, years later, when I do that, I'm like, oh, I'm just doing the old, like it's the lowest hanging fruit just to get the, you know, shoot Jason on the draw fern Mm -hmm. above the lens Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and get some ferns in the foreground. Mm -hmm. Cause I'd like the the perfect photo has foreground, the subject and a background, right? That are all, it does. I don't don't agree with that.
1: I've I've never agreed with that.
2: (laughs) That's what I learned in film school. Maybe that's film. I don't know. They had your course was just like putting ferns in the front 101. (laughs) Yeah, junk in the front. Um, Yeah, like I think that's just trying to add elements that are interesting. And sometimes if you're shooting in a forest that doesn't look very aesthetic, then you need to sort of ham it up, which is hard. But I think that that's also, um, I think that you end up with a hard situation when you're also just trying to make something beautiful that won't be. So you should maybe reevaluate what you're shooting is like half of the time. The problem is like, should I even be bu- trying to make the situation look good? Um, will be changing whether or not you're going to have a successful, interesting photography. So that's just the element of like, what is the content of the photo? Not how I shot the photo in this situation. Should I be here or should I just like go home, think about it for a bit and come up with a better idea or work more on networking with great riders that I want to try to shoot with. We're going to be so good that people want to watch, look at the photos.
0: What about, uh, for the people who are just starting and they want to know what kind of camera to
2: get, what's your answer to that? Um, it's honestly just a gradient of money now at this point. So you take whatever money that you can and you spend it on the gear that you can. I wouldn't go too far on lights and then just have a variety of lenses and you're probably going to stick with whatever brand you buy the first time. So you're probably going to want to buy one of the main three Sony, Nikon or Canon and then you're just going to stick with that family and they're sort of all the same. Some people make a big deal about it, but they're, they're all cameras. And I feel like a lot of people go for this cheaper one, which has like
0: the kit lens or something. Mm-hmm. Which I always say, don't get the kit lens, just get the body and then try to spend money on one decent lens. Because when you say I'll get a variety of lenses, there's someone out there with like $500 to their name thinking, all right, I'll
2: just get a Mm -hmm. bunch
0: of lenses.
2: Yeah, you can do a lot of great work with just one lens and sometimes, like I was saying before, the creative constraints actually help you out where if you had a drone and you have five lenses you just don't even know where to start with where a single lens will force you to walk around and move more do your 360 find a different element so that's a great way to start if you could choose one lens one focal length what would it be Ooh, i'd be really stuck with that i shoot most of my stuff at the far ends so like a 70 to 200 or a 300 or a 14 to 30 wide lens. So I think I would end up probably with the wide lens just because it's really hard to shoot exclusively with a telephoto. Mm -hmm. So Um. anywhere between 14 and 300. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just somewhere in that range. Um, But I think that I've used a lot of really crazy gear because the ideas that I've had have demanded those things, but the, Getting crazy gear doesn't give you ideas. So people end up with everything and then being like, why aren't my photos great? Where Mm. if you start with working on your creative process and put the emphasis on that side with whatever lens you have, like go get that kit lens. It's going to need replacing at some point, but it's more than enough if the environment is already looking great. Like when you look back at Sterling Lawrence's oldest photos, they're on like a film camera that's 400 ISO that shoots that shot way more grainy than anything else. And he just was up in the fog. And that was the thing that he needed to do to launch his entire career was just be out there doing something interesting in good conditions with objectively really not that great of a camera.
1: I'm curious, um, uh, your point on the post side of things, like post production photo, Mm -hmm. you get back to your, your computer how much of a purist are you when it comes to editing those photos like aside from color correction and exposure correction are you ever like removing things from the image or putting things in or scaling things like how far do you go
2: um i think that depends a lot on who you're shooting for um and what you're trying to represent is like i'll add or remove a ski track on a powder field if it's going to a commercial photograph that It's not lying about something that's important. Um, It doesn't really affect whether or not this photograph is authentically representing what's going on. Would you take a photo of Brandon Semenuk and Photoshop him higher into the air? Absolutely not, because that's lying both about your representation and that's lying on his behalf. Um, So I do a ton of color correction, but I've tried not to make that also my... um, my element that makes me a photographer and people want to hire me. So one of the reasons I gave up like flash photography, not gave up, but I stopped prioritizing. It. it was like, I, I didn't want to carry this huge, huge camera bag and get scoliosis when I'm like 22 years old, because that's going to be the thing that you do and you get known for will be what you get hired for. Mm. So I didn't want to set this precedent that I didn't want to end up fulfilling. And same thing goes with, um the post-production, I don't want that to be the um the main reason that a person wants to hire me. I want them to hire me to be at the mountain at 6 a.m. and be there in beautiful light because I love that experience. It's always great scrape photographs. So that's the kind of experience I want to have.
1: Yeah, that's a good answer.
2: Let's take a step back from the photography for a sec.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um reading a couple things this morning. It was mentioned that you, you lived in a van. Mm-hmm. Currently living in a van? No. No van. And also two mentions in which you had bad jobs, a history of bad jobs,
2: but no mention of what
0: those jobs were. So I was curious if you could tell us a little bit about this, Ruben.
2: Um, so my last full-time job was at Holt Renfrew. Um, oh, my god! Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I was not going to get greeter. So for an American listener, this is like a department store that carries like Prada, a little lemon yeah. Prada and Louis Vuitton not Lululemon those kind of things. Is a Canadian? Yeah it's a Canadian okay, no Canadian department store right. so I was a mall cop there. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah. Did you have a mustache? Did, Did you have a segue? segue? <laughs> 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 Unfortunately I didn't have both of those. Um, Dave finally perks up over here. Yeah and I said the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, this was because I had just blown up my knee when I was in photography school and I had blown meniscus and then this was 2009. So the economy was trash and all of my work experience was teaching mountain biking and working hard labor and I couldn't do any of that. So this was literally the only job I could find. So I worked for a year basically in being a security desk with all these people whose priorities were slightly different than mine. Um, but yeah, that one is sort of like what I bring up when I'm like, what's the worst job. This
0: was your 7-Eleven.
2: That was my 7-Eleven. So at least some of the time I got to work at a desk, just having to monitor whether or not a person walked down the hallway. Um, So most of the time was nothing. So I could just spend the time researching how to set up my business. So I was sort of just getting paid on the side to make sure that no one walked down the hall.
1: Now, if someone did walk down the hall, did you have the capacity to run after them with your blown knee? Yeah. Any sweet busts? Um, I
2: did once get to go out on a bust where two people were stealing i think three thousand dollars worth of jeans no ten thousand dollars worth of jeans just one pair uh yeah i think it was like five pairs of jeans or something like that true at that religion point time. uh i don't know <laughs> sounds like you've been at Holt married Free more recently than <laughs> uh i've
1: been i've visited once true religion model 501 yeah, that's <laughs> about right and then i lived
2: in a van just after that for about a year but not proper proper van life like i I think the van lifers now would like look down on me and being like, oh, you're, you're a liar. You were only doing it for like three weeks at a time. Oh, I yeah. See. And then going back to like the basement, mom and dad's house and wash all your clothing and stuff and then reset and then head back out. So I met something different back then mm-hmm. living in a van. I see. Was Any it- other bad jobs? Mm-hmm. Mm, I was a janitor for a little bit, but it wasn't a bad job. It was just, it's a satisfying cleaning. job. Yeah where at? can you say it was at a high school so yeah
3: did you ever find a really complicated math equation on
2: chalkboard (laughs) and complete it (laughs) no i was actually sort of bad at math oh okay like considering the like nerdy aspects of some of those photographs i created and the fact that my dad's a math teacher it's pretty bad that i'm like not actually good at any of that fair what uh what level of math does he teach uh he used to be a high school math teacher which was hard when I was struggling, and he wanted to help. And then you're just like, "No, Dad, go away." Oh, God bless his soul. Yeah, it's awesome. he's not dead.
0: No, i would saying God bless his soul for having to deal with like high schoolers oh, and teaching I math. I mean, that's a tough job. Those people are just God bless his soul. <laughs> his sweet, ex- currently alive soul. Um. Yeah. Cool <laughs> math. Eh?
1: <laughs> Do you want to play a, a game of this or that?
0: Uh, is it that time already?
1: This could be. I suppose. Uh, do you know what this or that is? Ref- refresh. Okay, hold on.
0: Hold on. Well, hold on. I, I had more questions, but we'll get to them after. Okay. I had some serious it's questions. that time
1: again, folks. Time to play this or that—the game where you choose between two radically
0: different options. Either this or that. Are you ready? And can you name that AI voice? It's a hard one. No. Nardwar. Oh.
4: All
0: right, you
1: ready? Dave, <laughs> you <I'm> gonna read? <laughs>
0: Oh, I'm reading. I don't yeah. know what else to say about Nardbar. You just, uh, bam boom.
1: All right. 3G1 <laughs> dropping in.
3: Dropping in. Every time. It's All right.
0: So loud.
3: <laughs> Canon or Nikon? Nikon. Film or digital? Uh, digital. Photo shoot or video shoot? Photo. Mirrorless or medium format? Mirrorless. Wide or telephoto? Wide. Spontaneous shoots or planned productions? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta pick one.
2: Uh, planned.
3: Sunrise or sunset? Sunrise. Solo explorations or group rides? Uh, group. Crab cakes or crab patties? Crabby patties. Oh, sorry. crab patties. Uh, <laughs> crab cakes. Okay. Pooping in the snow or pooping in the forest? Forest. Bike mag or decline? Uh, decline. <laughs> <laughs> seafood platter or seafood sandwich? Seafood sandwich. <laughs> Polar bears or grizzly bears? Polar bears. Underexposed or overexposed? Under. Fat Tony's or misty mountain pizza? Fat Tony's. Pack your poo out or fly your poo out? Fly. Working with pro skiers or pro bikers? Skiers. Would you rather have to sing every time you speak or dance every time you walk? Dance. (laughs) Point break or dirty dancing? Dirty dancing. (laughs) You're so decisive. Millennium (laughs) skate park or COP? Millennium. Uh, the Rockies or the Alps? Rockies. Longhorn or GLC? Uh, GLC. Bad Light or Bad Talent? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, one. Bad Talent. Wind Deep Summer or Wind Deep Winter? Never d- one deep winter, so I have to say summer. Solar Eclipse or Mitsubishi Eclipse? <laughs> Solar <laughs> Eclipse. <laughs> Wearing ski boots for a week straight or a chamois for a week straight?
2: Ski boots.
1: Oh,
3: <laughs> your poor legs. All right. Bikes or skis? Skis. Being too hot or being too cold? Cold. And finally, loam or pow?
2: Ooh, pow. Every time, Every time. pow wins every time.
3: Every
1: time. <sighs> All right.
0: Speaking of pow,
1: good job. Sorry, I'll stop the music. That's just such a good song. <laughs>
0: i did have some serious questions i mentioned mm-hmm. anything you want to do you need to like release any
2: <laughs> yeah this is therapy so that was it, hard it's surprisingly hard to have to choose all of those things but <laughs> like it really well yeah, you're the
3: fastest we've ever had i think
2: when when it's pow and it's really good it's it's like a i don't know it's it's a different experience it's a holy place
3: it's more yes. temperamental yeah
2: and it's so uh, it's so elusive that it's so rare and so good Where loam happens a little bit more often. Did you want to unpack bad light versus bad talent? Mm, I think that it's extremely hard to ever do anything good in bad light. And it's so frustrating when you've got great talent and horrible light. Where with bad talent, you can sort of always change what you're doing in that moment. So you can potentially sort of workshop their riding, their skill. You can develop what they're doing. So then you can do something with the great light. I think your previous advice fits perfectly with that.
0: Mm-hmm. Anything else to unpack on the on no, this no, or that? Good. Um, yeah. uh, seafood sandwich. Should we explain what the heck that means, <laughs> or do you does that remain a mystery? Uh, that's fine.
2: It's it's public. Oh. Are you going to explain that? Or? I don't even.
0: I don't. I, all, all I know is it's your finstagram. Oh, it's your fake Instagram. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, it was. It was mostly just a place to put the more like ridiculous stuff that happens. Um, I guess, during the life of a photographer. And there was also a phase where, um, after, after eclipse, the movie came out. Um, I got to go like on different film tours around the world. So you ended up in some of these really, really crazy experiences that didn't feel like anything that's related to just being like a guy who honestly just wants to be in the mountains. So there were experiences like being on a red carpet in Shenzhen, China, signing autographs. Um, for people who for sure had no idea who I was, but just because of the location and me being the person who was there for a film, people were interested in getting a autograph from a person. So there's just like all of these really strange experiences that like some of that film tour afforded that needed, needed an outlet in some way. And who, what's the story of the name seafood sandwich? Um, So a Reuben sandwich
3: mmm
2: and seafood my last name proper
3: <laughs> you didn't you didn't put that together
2: yeah
0: no I didn't wow what Reuben sandwich and seafood I
3: still a, a, I Reuben, a Reuben, a Reuben, a Reuben is is a sandwich. sandwich and crab is seafood oh so his name is a seafood sandwich oh I don't get it just kidding
0: <laughs> you ever try that Reuben sandwich at McDonald's <laughs> there was a really <laughs> yeah they had deli, deli sandwiches when oh man it was probably like 2005 ish or something I, I i brought this up like a couple of weeks ago because i made
3: this joke like when we were booking him that <laughs> that,
0: that's how it came up right you made the Reuben sandwich joke yeah and then i said i asked the same question and then i googled it and there's like a couple of reviews and i posted an image in our chat and dave mm-hmm. said it looked like dog shit and it does
2: but i swear it tasted so good thousand island <laughs> dressing now what? What if you put the filéo fish into that one? Oh. <laughs> That's a gangbang. How do you think that would go? Um, diarrhea. <laughs> probably fly that
0: diarrhea out. Probably, you know. Um Oh, there it is. There's the image. <laughs> That's the Reuben, dude. My my mother and I we would eat, eat a lot of those. Is, is that? that we don't forget.
2: We love them. Is that the would split McDonald's one? one? Yep. Uh. <laughs> did, did you guys? Did you guys see the thing when me and friends did the North shore triple crown on McDonald's? Yeah. You guys did see that one. That McTriple crown. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That was stupid, but tell the audience. Um, so doing all of these North shore triple crowns that you guys have done on videos as well, just sort of became this thing that everyone was doing. Um, and like, it sort of had a bit of like a overly dramatic, like it's so hard kind of attitude around here and we were like uh we need to make fun of this a bit and mountain biking hasn't had enough of like people make making fun of themselves where Mm -hmm. skiing has had like a rich history of like what we're doing is stupid and we need like to be making fun of what we're doing um so we did only the only calories we could eat for the day were from mcdonald's so like i think i had four like double cheeseburgers in the bag after we left um like getting hot cakes at 6 a.m. and then pedaling up from. So it was just a very, very hard, gross day. And then at the end of the day, the thing that was super hard about it was that it didn't, you couldn't really get energy out of the food. So then you were just like, your stomach was full. You had so much salt that you were just like (laughs) feeling all swollen and like gross and bloated. Um, But then you're also just like dying and you had no energy because your body couldn't digest the material that was in your stomach.
1: And was there a thing with the menu where you couldn't order the same thing twice yeah. or something like that? <laughs> no, so <laughs> we had, had to fill that.
2: like a fish at lunch and we all had like a little portion of it in solidarity because it was just like we, we needed to keep moving across the menu and try every different item. So recommended or no? The thing to, the thing to get at McDonald's is get an espresso and then get a sundae with none, none of the like fudge or anything. And then you can have an affogato. affogato. It's so good. Wow. Damn, that's a
1: yeah that's a good move. oh and Brooke then just
2: perked up <laughs> she's interested um the other thing that I were thinking would be a funny way to do this would be with one of those like uh zero alcohol beer companies to do the ipa challenge where you don't get to drink water all day and that you only have get to drink those like athletic brewing ipas Oh, are and you guys in? Wait, what? Like alcoholic? <laughs> no, non-alcoholic. Oh. oh, I don't think I know th- what these so like are. So like a fake beer, one of those like zero alcohol beers. Okay. But then it's just the IPA flavor and you don't get to drink water. You just only oh. get to. Oh. Yeah, okay. are you in? Just No, Jesus.
3: That sounds worse than the McDonald's.
1: I'd be into it just to see
3: what <laughs> happens. <laughs> Jason will do a
1: real beer <laughs> I'll do, I'll do real beer too. No, I, I wouldn't do real beer. No, that'd be, so f- fat, yeah, that'd be so gnarly. Just fat tugs all day? F-
0: <laughs> yeah, you'll definitely
1: crash. Man. I kind of have a bone to pick with those non-alcoholic beers where the labeling is too close to alcoholic beers.
3: Have you accidentally bought?
1: I've accidentally (laughs) bought. I've accidentally drank (laughs) multiple. And it's always a weird feeling. You're like, wow, I've had like three beers. I feel like pretty good right now then someone's like those are non-alcoholic i'm like what (laughs) yeah yeah exactly the best man (laughs)
0: these beers are crazy
1: non-alcoholic beer companies just put the 0.0 bigger please
0: well our friend spencer who's uh
1: uh been sober for five years
0: he had a like a fancy seltzer water after a shoot one time and he had to read the label like six times because he was so nervous that it was not Mm -hmm. um it was just not water yeah take it you can see your bone to pick, Jason.
1: <laughs> Just gotta make it obvious.
3: I have never had that experience. No, no.
0: I well, when I I got like some sort of non-alcoholic, it was, it was replicating some sort of like gin citrus drink, mm. and the before I bought it, the guy said, "You know, this is non-alcoholic, right?" I was like, "Oh, that's wise. That's nice to give me the heads up."
1: And you threw it on the floor and said, disgusting. <laughs> He's disgusting. Like, he's
3: like, hey, um, I don't want you to be a little bitch about this. Make <laughs> <laughs> sure you don't want some vodka or something? Don't <laughs> worry, it's for my girl for it. <laughs> Yeah.
0: At the time. Um, okay, my question was, it was a serious question. I think you've provided a lot of value in this podcast. Thank you very much for any aspiring photographers out there. Lots to learn. But um, how? Mm-hmm. Protect our winters. I actually just learned about this in the last podcast. I
2: didn't know oh, about really? it.
0: Yeah, I didn't know about it until huh? then.
2: Can you tell us what that is?
0: Why we should care?
2: Okay, um, yeah, so Protect Our Winters is an organization. There's one in Canada, one in the US, and one for Europe as well. And it's trying to advocate for climate policy um, for the outdoor industry. So climate change is already affecting, like right now it's December and you really don't wanna ski yet, which is a bit unusual. Um, So I was trying to advocate on behalf of the outdoor industry and recreationalists to try to like evolve and progress the policy that we're coming out with, as well as um, the cultural sort of like mitigation and stuff that we need to do of like evolving the way that our culture responds to climate change. Like we need to like all of our little towns that we go mountain biking in, a lot of them back right onto forests and those kind of things make them actually extremely liable to burn down. So we need to do forest fire mitigation around towns and those kind of things. So as a member, and as a person, you basically sign up, it's for free. And what you're doing is you're adding your name to a long form petition, that's just going to go and advocate for good things across time for everything that we're up to. So it has mostly been in the ski realm. And that's why I don't think you've seen as much of it in mountain biking. Uh, we've got Verve for Beek, how do you pronounce your last name? I feel That's That's head right. And then I was also talking with Hunter about uh getting him on board. Um unfortunately he was also disappearing into the Chilcotins for elk hunting season, so he's just like hard to track down at that point in time. But um yeah, it's a super easy and quick thing to do and it's actually a meaningful change. So if you guys go to protectorangers.ca, you can sign up quickly and then um that's basically all you need to do or want to do and then further you can get involved with like a local chapter so there's like one in vancouver squamish calgary edmonton a couple on the east coast as well and then you can get involved in a, like regional efforts that are like locally involved with a municipality if you're trying to make an impact there so some of the theory there is like I've done different things for myself to try to be more of a climate advocate. I've tried to cut back on international travel a bunch for a while. I was running a veggie oil truck, which was a huge mistake, a ton of wasted time, <laughs> but it did sort of smell like McDonald's, which was yeah. sort of a bonus. Um, but these things don't actually change the way that everything works fast enough for us to address climate change. So we need to get people together to do those kinds of things. Does that make sense yeah mm-hmm. yeah reading your bio on your website it, you mentioned that you're reducing your footprint
0: and i wondered uh how we or the average person can do
2: something mm-hmm. simple to reduce our front footprint um i think that one of the main things that you can do to re- change your footprint is to start thinking about footprint in a different way. The way that I now think about this is instead of a footprint, like your direct impact under your foot is your shadow. What's the thing that's going to be uh your effect on reality over time. So if you help advocate and change how we talk about this thing amongst ourselves and just be like, it's super normal to get together with people and talk about climate and the fact that it's human-caused, it's fossil fuel driven, those kinds of things and then we can try to change our culture so that uh, we solve the problem. That's the way that we actually address things. So it's by changing the attitude of how we talk about these things, instead of being like, oh, that climate advocate flew to Cancun, and that's too bad, and they're disingenuous. That line of thinking is just where we n- naturally go to, but I'd rather try to shift it to be like, hey, how do we s- get people together to do stuff that actually sort of matters, and- drive some policy changes it's not as sexy but it's how you actually solve those kind of problems
3: it's more macro
2: mm-hmm. um so then uh this summer i also joined the board of protector Winters. so that's also been fun for helping trying to figure out how to steer this um, organization to be as effective as possible and keep growing yeah
0: What's your take on hel- helicopters and heli drops? Because we've done uh, a couple of those and we've seen on pink bike that uh, you have anything to do with a helicopter these days. And a lot of people don't like it. They say, why do you need a helicopter to take your bike up the hill? You can just simply ride up the hill.
2: Yeah, um, I think people are rightfully frustrated when we are reckless with our carbon use. I was last in a helicopter in may and it was the longest flight i had ever been in a helicopter i was up in the northwest territories which is another place you don't get to without fossil fuels so i'm hypocritical top to bottom on the same categories but um so i think that what matters is that people who are trying to be climate advocates also show a genuine effort and that they just don't want to see people only continually being exotic and only burning a ton but like if you guys put some effort into something that helps make a difference at the same time. That's great. But I don't think that we should feel frustrated and bad about ourselves that we use carbon and fossil fuels in the processes that we do. That's just the world that we were born into. Let's say for a thought experiment, let's say the English language was a problem in itself and then somewhere in our lifetime we've realized that it's a problem and then we're like hey we need to evolve this and change this over years and we need to get to a place where this 2050 we're not using this language anymore we wouldn't shame ourselves for discussing this thing and trying to address it using the language that we currently have that would that's just the environment that we're in that's the world that we're born into so because that's how the world operates it's going to continue to operate but we can still advocate for that different future using methods that are bad does that make sense yeah it's, it's a good analogy. i love the perspective um back to the helicopters
0: the companies that i think do these shuttles they claim to be carbon neutral and on the mm-hmm. sides of the helicopters they got the leaf mm-hmm. that makes me believe mm-hmm. that uh it's fine it, that there is there i don't know they're doing something to plant trees or mm-hmm. whatever the, they're doing more good to offset the fuel they're burning but mm-hmm. you know, i don't know how much fuel i don't know i'm not a brainiac I don't so know. <laughs>
2: one of the things that's funny like helicopters are the way that people also think about those things are that um certain actions or types of machinery people have this hyper emphasis and think that it's the biggest emitter so people see a helicopter and they're like it's so expensive they don't burn that much fuel they'll always say it's uh, so many liters per second mm-hmm But like if you, so if you get in a helicopter and you do that, and let's try to do a little thought experiment here. What uses more fuel per person per seat, taking your helicopter ride in Whistler up to the mountain or the person who flew from Toronto to Whistler for their bike vacation?
1: Which one? Airplane for sure.
2: Airplane by like an order of huge magnitude. So those kind of things are much, much bigger and... A helicopter is not as much. So people's emphasis of where these things come out of. But the, the, the problem with this whole thing is not that, yes, it's a high-emitting activity, and maybe we shouldn't do as much of that, and you can have fun in a different way. That's great. But it's distracting us from where we can actually make an effective change on this thing that we need to within the next 30 years. So that's just why I try to pivot the conversation to be, where does the science tell us that we can make an effective change? Okay. Heli skiing is going to continue to exist. Let's not worry about that as much. Let's worry about unswitching our fuel systems.
3: Yeah, it's like, it's, and I also think there's probably um, evidence to show that the bigger forces at play actually drive conversation about individuals blaming themselves versus the more macro problems.
2: Yeah, um, I believe it's attributed to Exxon of coming up with the carbon footprint to individualize the concept exactly so that it makes the person guilty of a bad action instead of looking at just like does this fuel have a problem with its use that's all it is it's not bad it's not evil it's just a phenomenon but it happens to change the world in a way that we don't really like as it starts burning more often in bc Which is not as nice for mountain biking. (laughs) (laughs) Or skiing
1: in the the winter.
2: So anyways, going back to the plug, join with Protector Winters. It's a great way to advocate. So the personal things that you can do are emphasize less on these hypocrisy things. Join an organization and then choose one or two things that you can do that are buying like a net zero product. If that's a car or a heat pump something super cool and exciting like a heat pump you can show it off to your friends it's a great way to heat your house <laughs> bring it to
1: parties yeah uh, and
0: uh, the government will subsidize your heat pumps i've so i've heard yeah mm-hmm. yeah they'll
2: help you help you buy your new heat pump
1: yeah that's so great what yeah. if i don't have a home <laughs> yeah <laughs> i gotta buy the <laughs> home first I yeah guess. problem a <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well what? thanks Ruben. Yeah. Mm-hmm. that was great thank you i
2: hope you had a good time yeah it was great are you uh, metaphorically full? Oh, yeah, I'm. I'm metaphorically full. Okay. Oh, How are you guys doing? Satiated? Yeah, I'm
0: stuffed. Very much so. I forgot to mention when we did the triple crown for the first time, our friend Ollie, who I think you know, mm-hmm. he brought in his pocket eight cheeseburgers, <laughs> and that wasn't a challenge. He just did that
2: from where? Uh, McDonald's. From McDonald's. Yeah, he
0: had well, eight cheeseburgers. Well, he he's the he's day.
3: a bit challenged though. <laughs> <laughs> no.
2: <laughs> I, I have a friend who. I think he was at ubc and they would go mountain biking on the shore and they had this thing that they would get like mcdonald's before they started riding and then they would eat the cheeseburgers as fast as they could and then they would pedal up to the seventh corner on Frome as fast as they could and then that was their mark of whether or not if they survived that it was going to be a big ride or a short ride Good lord. People yeah. would be crazy. Yeah. Very that's a good Wait, YouTube before we end, do
1: you have any crazy ski missions this year or like in the spring mountain bike stuff? Mm, it, like, care about this?
2: I, I don't have any current crazy ski missions. I've got like a backcountry tent with a like wood stove so that you can go back out there, dry your socks at the end of the day and that kind of thing. So I'm looking forward to trying to spend some time doing that. Um so that's a big one. Um, but then otherwise, um some More regular stuff, which is still exotic and fun of like going to uh, shoot a new product for a company in January. And we get to go to a backcountry lodge and photograph that for its upcoming launch. So back to the regular, but awesome. And do you have a new project named Yonder? So this was when we were talking about like podcasts and conversations. Yonder is a project that I was doing for a while, which was me going out on an adventure with people and then sort of sitting down doing a dialogue and conversation. Um, I've hit a pause on that one because I f- felt like the format just sort of wasn't exactly working in the same way, but it was a goal for me to just try to be able to have more places where I could just be like, Hey, that scientist, I want to talk with them about that thing. Or this athlete, I want to talk with them about their creative process. So yeah. you guys were also on my list of <laughs> oh, very, interviewees very well, way down there. somewhere else <laughs> I'm eating, down. where I would flip the script and just be interrogating you guys about all of I thought this was therapy.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> In therapy.
0: So do you uh, do you have any uh, uh, <laughs> scientists you can hook us up with? I almost said Scientologists. We talk <laughs> about Scientologists. Yeah, have that you
2: can hook us up with? <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: that sounds super interesting. I'm, I'm
3: looking to go clear, baby. <laughs> we keep we <laughs> keep talking
0: about we want to have a, a scientist uh, who know, is an expert on like flatulence. Flatulence. Mm-hmm. Fart expert. Uh, okay. I just keep saying that. Sorry. I don't have that
2: scientist on the roster. Okay. Anybody else? <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. Sorry. Oh, Jason's
0: <laughs> a scientist though, in that
1: department. I'm a sound scientist. <laughs> and
0: All right. Let's freaking yeah, wrap this up. Yeah,
1: we've, we've spiraled. Thank
0: you, Ruben. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys. Thanks for listening. Please remember to subscribe, leave us a review on Apple, drop a comment on YouTube, ask us for advice, leave us a speak pipe. That's a voicemail. Okay, Colin will feature you on the show. Speakpipe.com slash feeding off each other. And as always.
3: Thank you for listening to Feeding Off Each Other. Please subscribe for more great podcasts.